Friends, what do we know about lamenting? Where do we do that? In a culture where everything is geared to people having a feel-good church experience, how in the world do Christian people ever learn to lament? Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. And Colin, that is a great question, but I'd even back up and say, do we even know what lamenting is anymore, let alone how do we learn to do it? Yeah, well, we do, because life brings for every person at some point an unbearable sorrow. It just does. Everyone knows this at some point in our experience. And the Bible recognizes this. The Bible speaks into life as it is, to the realities of human experience. And that's why we mustn't cherry pick the bits that we like out of the Bible and ignore everything else, because then we'll have a kind of skewed view of life. And so we're going to get into the book of Joel today, which was God's word into a situation where his own people had experienced disaster. I mean, it's a 9-11 kind of situation in which there is tremendous loss, grief, sorrow, a sense of consternation. How could this have happened? And God speaks into that situation. And uh, thank God that he does. He speaks to us in our sorrow and he speaks very loudly in our pain and in our cries. And uh, that's where we're looking in the scripture today. So open your Bible to the book of Joel as we begin this message, Turning to God with All Your Heart. Here's Pastor Colin. The book of Joel really opens um, describing the day of the locusts and a call to lament. Chapter 1 and verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. God spoke through Joel because there had been an unprecedented disaster that had come on the promised land. Verse 2, has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your father? And this calamity that led to the Word of God coming through Joel was of such proportion that you find there Joel saying, uh, this will be something that will be told to your children and to your grandchildren, and even to the generation that follows, uh, such a remarkable thing, the like of which has never happened before. You say, well, what was it that was so devastating? Well, you have it in verse 4. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. This was a plague of locusts. They had come in swarms. The locust, of course, rather like a grasshopper, innocent-looking little fellow. But when they came in swarms, they could be absolutely devastating. And uh, what Joel describes here is nothing other than a locust epidemic. Now, notice that in this verse, Joel describes the locust in four ways. Uh, We've got reference here to the cutting locust, the swarming locust, the hopping locust, and the destroying locust. Lots of discussion about why that is. Is this different varieties of locust? Is this the locust in different stages of its life cycle? Matthew Henry suggests, and I'm very drawn to what uh, his suggestion is here, that the fourfold description may well represent that the plague of locusts came in four successive years, that four consecutive harvests were completely devastated by the same plague. And the reason I'm drawn to that is because God says later, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. 
Now, the effect of this four-year plague, if that indeed is the correct way to understand this, are obviously devastating. Um, On the land, look at verse 10, the fields are destroyed, the ground mourns because the grain is destroyed, the wine dries up, and the oil languishes. It affects not only the land, but the animals. Verse 18, how the beasts groan. The herds of cattle are perplexed because there's no pasture for them, and even the flocks of sheep suffer. It affects the people, verse 12, because all the trees of the field are dried up, gladness dries up from the children of man. You go across the whole country, you don't find any happy people, nobody clapping about the place, because it is wretchedly difficult to survive in the third and the fourth year of this absolute devastation. And notice that even God speaks of this in terms of a personal loss. Verse 7, the loss touches the Lord. It has laid waste to my vine. This is God speaking. It has splintered my fig tree. Remember, the promised land in the Old Testament is always in a very special way the Lord's, which is why the land was always held on a kind of leasehold basis rather than on a freehold basis, or at least that was the commandment of the Lord. And the first fruits of the Lord's land were always to be offered to Him, the grain offering and so forth. But how can there be a grain offering of the first fruits to the Lord when there are no fruits? Because they have been devastated by the plague of locusts. And so, verse 9, the grain offering, the drink offering, they're cut off from the house of the Lord, and so the priests mourn as do the ministers of the Lord. So, you get the picture. This is a scene of sustained, devastating, absolute national disaster. Now, that raises the question, because the Word of God comes into that situation, and the obvious question is, how are God's people to respond to disaster, any disaster? What is to be in our hearts and in our minds? What are we to do? What are we to do when we see war and violence sweeping, as it were, like an army of locusts across the Middle East? What are we to do when we see an invasion of drugs, as it were, sweeping across the United States of America, ruining not plants but the lives of people? What are God's people to do when, like an army of locusts, there is a movement of shallowness and unfaithfulness that sweeps across the church, emaciating the vibrant faith of God's people and and cutting out the life of costly obedience? The answer is in verse 13. Here's what God says we are to do. Lament. Put on sackcloth, verse 13, and lament. That's what God says. O priests, wail. O ministers of the altar, go in, pass the night in sackcloth. O ministers of my God. Earlier this summer, I had the opportunity of attending the Free Church Conference in New Orleans. There were many good things in the conference, and uh, one of them was a lecture from Professor McGarry of uh, Trinity here on the Psalms of Lament. You will know that there are a whole group of Psalms 
that have the character of being a lament. And McGarry pointed out, uh, began by pointing out that there is, of course, a massive sweeping change that is going on in our culture. Godliness increasingly being swept back. And he said, people want to do something about it, but they don't know what to do. And then he said, here's the problem. We do not know how to lament. Christians who've been brought up on a diet of, you're great, God's good, and everything's going to be just fine, have nothing to say with regards to disaster or to a suffering world. And McGarry said to a group of us pastors gathered in front of him earlier this summer in New Orleans, he said to the pastors, we need to learn how to lament, and then we need to teach God's people to do the same. Now, do you see that that is exactly what Joel says here? It has to begin with the ministers. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. These are the folks who vocationally are called to ministry in Old Testament terms. Then notice how it extends to the group that are described here as the elders. Verse 14, consecrate a fast. That's what the ministers are to do. Call a solemn assembly. And then what do they do? Gather the elders, verse 14. Then, then what happens? It spreads through all the people. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God. Friends, what do we know about lamenting? Where do we do that? In a culture where everything is geared to people having a feel-good church experience, how in the world do Christian people ever learn to lament? What happens in that culture is increasingly that the church turns a blind eye to a suffering world, and even public prayer becomes a matter of, Lord, we thank you for all these wonderful blessings that you've filled our lives with. And the world says, this is supremely irrelevant. When do the people of God cry out to God for His mercy on our land? You know, the church is a place for people who want to become serious about following Jesus. And do you remember that Jesus knelt down and He wept over Jerusalem? And if we're going to be like Him, there has to be something, at least sometimes, of that in our experience. So that's the first part, the day of the locust and the call to lament. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith, a message called Turning to God with All Your Heart. It is the first message in our series called Restored, all about how God can give you back what you've lost. And if you ever miss a broadcast in the series, you can come and listen online at OpenTheBible.org. You can also get the entire copy of the series on CD, Ask About Restored, when you call us at 1-877-OPEN-365. That's 1-877-673-6365. Or you'll find ordering information online at OpenTheBible.org. Back to the message. Here's Pastor Colin. So that's the first part. The day of the locust and the call to lament. 
the second, and there are only two today, the day of the Lord and the call to repent, the day of the Lord and the call to repent. Notice in verse 19 of chapter 1 that there is a change of picture. It's quite different. To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Now, locusts ate the vegetation, but they obviously did not burn it. And from verse 19 onwards, quite clearly, Joel is now speaking about something else. He's moving to a different picture. He's speaking of a different day. In some way, the plague of the locusts has made him think about something else, and God has moved his mind to speak about it. And what is it? Chapter 2 and verse 1, it is the day of the Lord which is coming and is now near. And Joel describes what that day, the day of judgment, the day when God Himself winds up human history in this world as we know it, and the King Himself comes in His power and in His glory and brings judgment to the earth. And He describes here a vast army uh, moving into the land, just like the plagues of locusts. This is an army that sweeps across the land, only it's burning everything in its path. Fire devours before them, verse 3, and behind them a flame burns. The land, verse 3, is like Eden before them, but behind them there is a desolate wilderness. That's an astonishing turnaround from what Isaiah said. Remember, Isaiah spoke about how the wilderness would become like the Garden of Eden. Joel says, on the day of the Lord, the beauties of the earth will become like a wilderness. This is what Peter speaks about when he says, the earth is going to melt with scorching heat. And Joel describes the astonishing and universal proportions of that day in verse 10. Uh, Not only are the people terrified, but the earthquakes, the heavens tremble. This is not locusts now. This is the day of the Lord. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. So, you see what is happening here? The devastation of the plague of locusts is leading the prophet as God speaks through him to say, now now you feel the weight of that devastation. Now you must think of something even greater because it is eternal. The day of the Lord. Verse 11, the Lord utters His voice before His army, for His camp is exceedingly great, and He who executes His word is powerful for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Well, the obvious answer to that question is no one can. And of course, the people having experienced the devastation of insects in vast numbers that are just two inches long, saying if we can't endure two-inch insects, how in the world would we ever stand if our enemy were God? And so, out of the locusts comes the call to lament. Out of the day of the Lord comes the call to repent. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Perhaps you'll take this away from today, and it will stay with with your mind, as I hope it will stay with mine. Every disaster brings a call to repent. 
Every disaster is a reminder to us that a day is coming when the whole history of this world itself will roll up. God will roll it up like a scroll. The heavens, the earth, the stars. Every disaster brings a call to return to the Lord. And never is that more astonishingly made clear than on an occasion that you might recall, or perhaps not, recorded in Luke in chapter 13. Luke tells us about an occasion when some people who were listening to Jesus told our Lord about an unspeakable atrocity that had recently taken place. Pilate, who was a wicked man, had launched an attack on some people from Galilee while they were in the act of worship, offering their sacrifices. And these people came to Jesus, and they spoke to Jesus of how Pilate, this is Luke chapter 13, how Pilate had mingled the blood of these people with their sacrifices. It was as heinous a crime as these folks could imagine. Here, they're making the sacrifices, and now their own blood gets mixed by Pilate with the sacrifice, an attack on the people he governed while they were in the act of worship. It was an unspeakable atrocity. How in the world could a ruler ever do such a thing? And they bring that question to Jesus. And I wonder if you remember what Jesus said in response to that. It is one of the most astonishing things that Jesus ever said, because He took the disaster, He turned it to say, well, now you should be thinking about eternity. And what He said, Luke 13, is, I tell you that unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Every disaster brings with it a call to lament and a call to repent for the people of God. And it's all of us who are to repent. Notice verse 15, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, the nursing infants, let the bridegroom lead his room and the bride her chamber. This is the entire community of the people of God. The call to repentance comes to us, folks. It is very easy, especially in a day like the day in which we live, for Christian people to say that the nation needs to repent. And how self-righteous we sound when we say it. Oh, yes, our nation needs to repent. We need to turn back to God. Well, that's true. But repentance in the Bible always begins with those who know God, not with those who don't. It begins with those who believe. And among those who believe, it has to begin with those who are most spiritually mature and those who lead them. A.W. Tozer described how Christianity in America is being emaciated, faith that really trusts God just being replaced by a bare profession of belief, Christianity being gutted of repentance gutted of cross-carrying and of costly obedience. Friends, we will never see a repenting nation until we have a repentant church. 
Repentance and faith are the two sides of the same coin. All who truly believe repent, and all who truly repent believe. And then having given the call, Joel wonderfully gives us this draw. How in the world can we repent? How can we repent? Verse 13, return to the Lord your God. Why? Because He's gracious. Because He's merciful. He has pity. He has compassion. His arms are outstretched to all of us in Jesus Christ even today. He's slow to anger. Oh, the day of the Lord is surely coming, but it has not come yet. Today is the day of grace, and we may come to Him. He is abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. Friends, people don't repent because they're told that what they're doing is wrong. Repentance means turning to God, and people repent on seeing that God is good. You know, Joel asks the question, the day of the Lord, it's so terrible, who can endure it? And of course, the Old Testament answer is obviously nobody. But then when we come to the New Testament, we find a greater and a better answer to which the Old Testament points, which is, who can endure the day of the Lord? One man did. And that man was God Himself, God for us, God with us, God in Jesus Christ reconciling the world to Himself by Jesus going to that cross and bearing everything that was due, the judgment that was due to all who would be in Him, bearing it on that cross, and now as our risen Lord holding His arms out and saying, come to me, turn to me, and here you'll find mercy, and here you will find grace, and here you will find steadfast love, and if you will turn to me, and if you will follow me, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the appeal that comes to all the people of God. It is the appeal of grace that leads to repentance. And when are we to repent? Notice what he says, verse 12, even now, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart. Now at the height of your trouble, now while you're still in your sin, now while you feel ashamed and unworthy, now, says the risen Lord Jesus Christ, I call upon you, turn to me with all of your heart, and you will find mercy, and you will find grace, and you will be embraced with steadfast love. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and a message called Turning to God with All Your Heart. It is the first message in our series, Restored, all about how God can give you back what you've lost. And if you ever miss a broadcast in our series, come and listen online. You can always catch up by streaming the program or downloading an MP3 for free. Our website is openthebible.org. Well, Open the Bible is a listener-supported ministry. It is your generosity that keeps Pastor Collins teaching on this station and makes the podcast and other things available. But as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you the Heaven Bundle as our thanks. Now, the Heaven Bundle includes a book called Heaven from Randy Alcorn, Pastor Collins' book, Heaven, How I Got Here, The Story of the Thief on the Cross, and then five copies of the booklet, How Can I Be Sure About Heaven? And Colin, why are we sending five copies of this booklet? <laughs> well, because this is something to give away. A little booklet, again, based on the wonderful story of the thief on the cross and just capturing what it was that this man did. He turned to Jesus. He asked Jesus to save him and he trusted the promise 
that Jesus gave him. So these three simple words, turn and ask and trust, are at the heart of this booklet that's all about Jesus and how he saves us, illustrated through the story of the thief on the cross. It's a booklet that you could give away to someone very easily, just a few pages, but it will give them the heart of the gospel and a simple presentation of how to respond to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we want to send you these five copies of the booklet, as well as Pastor Collins' book, Heaven, How I Got Here, and Randy Alcorn's book, Entitled Heaven. It's all part of the Heaven Bundle. Our thank you for your financial support this month. You can give online at openthebible.org. You can also call 1-877-673-6365. That's 1-877-OPEN-365. Or give online at openthebible.org. For Pastor Colin Smith, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening. And I hope you'll join us next time. This program is a listener-supported production of Open the Bible. God says to his people, I will restore the years that the locust has eaten. What does that mean, the years the locust has eaten? Find out next time on Open the Bible.